Hi, unfortunately on Sunday the um, recording didn't work for the talk, so as I want you to know I'm re-recording this. Um, I hope it's helpful for you to be able to listen back or listen for the first time and um, let me pray now that this would be a blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of 1 Corinthians 6, that you have this written for us and I pray that you would help us to be receptive to the challenge of this passage, to hear the hard things and that you would lead us to greater faith and hope as well in the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Amen. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we'll start reading at verse 8. Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he's in a passage where he's he's talking to them about a lot of wrong things that they're doing against God. And um, this is what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 8. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will in, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to imagine standing with one foot on solid ground and the other on an ice sheet that is broken away from that ground. On one side, it is firm, safe and solid ground. But the other foot is on this ice sheet that has broken off and is beginning to drift away. But you are determined to keep your feet on both sides. But you have this friend who comes along and shouts to you, what are you doing? Don't you know that the ice is drifting away? Why do you still have your feet on both sides? It's drifting away. Put both feet on the safe ground. You'd have to be pretty stubborn not to listen. Now, Christians sometimes live standing with their feet planted on two different grounds. One is safe and firm and the other is like an ice sheet drifting away. The safe and firm side is the kingdom of God, where we find forgiveness, a new life with Jesus, the king of the kingdom, eternal safety with him forever. But the other side, the side that's drifting away, is a life lived in free and open rebellion against God. What I'm going to call in this talk no shame sin were you were you happy to do life your way and sometimes christians try and keep a foot on both the firm ground of god's kingdom and the icy ground of this open rebellion no shame sin against jesus and today we have a friend in paul who comes along and shouts to us don't you know that you're living with one foot in god's kingdom and one foot in a life that's drifting away the corinthians are trying to live the, the christian life with their feet in two different places They've got one foot on solid ground, this firm ground. And you see this in in verse 11. We'll look at this in more detail later. But it says, and that's what some of you were. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. They're in God's kingdom. They've been forgiven. They belong to Jesus. But what we've been seeing over the last few weeks is that they've also got one foot resolutely planted on a life that is living in open disobedience against King Jesus and they love it. Chapter 5 verse 1 it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. There's rampant sexual immorality in their church. Incest and they love it. They're proud of their sin. 
We saw in chapter 6 that their church is also like a courtroom drama. They're suing each other rather than dealing with things responsibly. And Paul sums it up in 6 verse 8. You cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters. They're, They're cheating and wronging their own church family. And they don't see any problem with this moral mess in their church. Christians, though we're forgiven, we still sin. But this is sinning and loving it. They see no problem with it. Do you see how they've got their feet in two different places? The kingdom of God where they're washed, forgiven and changed. And this lifestyle of no shame, sin. And Paul is the friend who comes along and screams out to them, don't you see what you're doing? Paul is helping them and he's going to help us as well. Fight no shame, sin. So as we listen to Paul and what he says, this is a time to look at our lives. Are we in danger of attempting to live with our feet in two different places? The kingdom of God and a way of life that's drifting away. So here's what Paul does to help the Corinthians see what they're doing. First, he takes a look at the ice sheet, the dangerous ground, and then he looks at the firm ground. So we're going to do the same. First, he says, don't you know sin has no future with God? Verse 9 to 10. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers will inherit, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul looks to the future, the time when God's kingdom will be fully established and Christians will, he says, inherit the kingdom. What will that kingdom be like? The future kingdom to come is all the good King Jesus did in his life, but at 100%, all the time, everywhere. The future is bright with peace and harmony, kindness, truth, upholding God's design for life. But Paul says, don't you know the future so bright that this no shame sin has no future with God? Wrongdoers, people who live a life of no shame sin will not inherit the kingdom of God in the future. Why does he need to tell them this? But he says, don't be deceived. You see, somewhere they've got into their thinking that a life of open rebellion against the king is somehow compatible with living in his kingdom. This is a mistake we easily make. Jesus sets me free. I'm free from condemnation. So now I'm free to do what I want. I've got one foot on the forgiveness in Jesus side of things. And that's kind of my insurance policy for heaven. Meanwhile, and God's super lovely, so he won't mind, I'm going to keep one foot firmly planted in doing what I want. I was chatting with a friend on Monday at the Have You Ever Wondered event about this, and she was rightly saying, look, some Christians seem to take for Jesus forgiving sin as a sign of him accepting sin. But she was right to say, but that misses the point of forgiveness, doesn't it? Christians get into this thinking that because sin is forgiven, it no longer matters what we do. So standing on forgiveness with one foot, the Corinthians are standing on a life of, well, sin doesn't matter, with the other. If you think King Jesus doesn't care about how you live, you've been deceived. And Paul says, do not be deceived. People who love sin have no future with God. God's kingdom is one of purity. And if you live in flagrant rebellion against the king, God can't allow you in to continue your subversion of his rule. I want you to imagine that you were you were the king of a nation, a country, and you were considering the immigration policy of this kingdom of yours. 
Would you want to let people in who were set on bringing down the rule of law? And you say, if you want to be in our country, you're welcome. But if, if your mission is to bring us down, that's an issue. What about God's kingdom? Just think with me through this list of the things that Paul names that are a particular issue for the Corinthians. I want you to consider, is no shame sin compatible with the kingdom of God? Verse 9, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what's striking about this list is that we've not even made it past the first chapters of the Bible before we've torn up the rule book of God's kingdom. Go with me to Genesis 1, right at the beginning. Beginning of God's rule book of how he wants us to live and who he is. Genesis 1 verse 1. The Bible starts with, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But idolatry says, No God, let us, let us just stop you there. We want some other gods instead. We'll come in our lives to living, loving, valuing and following these other things instead of you. They're gods who create, not you. Do you see, idolatry tears up the king's rule book at the first sentence. We carry on reading over in chapter 2, and God creates man and woman to be one flesh. 2 verse 24, and this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Whoa, 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 God, let us just stop you there. This marriage thing of exclusive sexual commitment. And sexual complementarity between one man and one woman, we don't want that. We want to have sex when, how, where and with whom we want. We want to break our marriage vows or just not make any at all. We want to have sex in whatever way our minds can imagine. Do you see that to embrace sexual immorality, adultery, homosexual sex is to embrace tearing up the King's Rule Book at Chapter 2? Is that compatible with his kingdom? And we get the second half of the list in verse 10. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I hope we'd agree that justice is a good thing. I hope we'd agree that taking what doesn't belong to us by force is a bad thing. I hope we'd agree that saying hurtful things about people which aren't true, slander, is a bad thing. And so I'm sure you can see that if God's eternal kingdom... It's going to be a place of harmony. These things have got to go. This week we've been saying in Britain that sexual harassment has no place in our parliament. In fact, sexual harassment has no place in our society. Quite right. And I'd imagine we'd say that parliament is no place for thievery, drunkenness, greed, slander or swindling. Now, if these things have no place in public office, doesn't it make sense that they also have no place in God's perfect kingdom? And so we come back to the Corinthian Christians and Paul says, don't you know that there's no future for sin or those who are proud of sin with God? And you've got one foot planted on that way of life. Do you know this? Do you know that God's kingdom is going to be such a wonderful place of peace, kindness, harmony under King Jesus that those who still want to undermine the king can't be part of that kingdom? To become a Christian is to turn from a life of no shame sin. That's called repentance. 
And it's to receive free acceptance, a new life with King Jesus. We used to not care how far we went, how much we took or what we did. But now we see that for what it is, subversion of God's good design. So having been accepted by God as we are, filthy rebels, God doesn't want to leave us as we are. But the Corinthians, they want to be left alone. They want to be left alone with their sin. Now it's important that we don't mishear Paul. We won't be perfect this side of heaven. Paul isn't looking for perfection, but what he's finding in Corinth isn't the normal Christian's ongoing battle with sin. In fact, what worries him the most is he's finding no battle with sin at all. We're not perfect as Christians, but when we do sin, we should regret it. And I think about this with me. I still enjoy sin in a way, but I also hate that I do it. We'll kick ourselves that we've dishonoured Jesus again. That's called repentance. But sometimes, like the Corinthians, Christians show signs that they still don't mind sinning against our king. He's not king of who we have sex with. He's not king of how we deal with conflict. He's not king of how much alcohol we drink. So hear the warning. Those who embrace that way of living have no future in God's kingdom. How do we spot this? In ourselves, in others, as we help each other. The thing to look out for is this. Is there an area of sin which you've ring-fenced from King Jesus? Is there something that you know is wrong, but you don't want King Jesus to touch it? Here are a couple of signs that you might be ring-fencing some sin from Jesus. Maybe people raise this no-shame sin with you. You hear it in a sermon or they talk to you. But your reaction is to get your back up and deflect. You bat them down. Don't be so judgmental. You're a sinner too. Don't be so legalistic with me talking about sin. Uh, here's my tip, right? If you want to get people to stop going on about your sin, you just call them a Pharisee. Call them a Pharisee and they'll back down. They won't bother you anymore. That's how you deflect. Do you deflect calls to purity? Or another sign you're ring-fencing sin is using grace as a cheap get-out-of-jail-free card. It's okay, grace covers it. As if God's forgiveness of your sin means he doesn't care that you sin. And so you go on subverting the rule of Jesus and you're using his kindness to justify your sin. If you're doing that, you're standing with one foot on the kingdom of God. But do you see, you've got your other foot firmly planted on a sheet of ice that is pulling away from God's kingdom. So my plea is this, stop embracing sin. Move your foot off your lifestyle that has no future with God. Plant both feet on the only safe place, the kingdom of God. Now before we move on to our next point, I just want to take a moment to clear up something we can get confused about today. Some people think that the Bible teaches that if you're homosexual, you can't be in God's kingdom. Now, this passage is important for us to understand it because it's mentioned in verse 9. Men who have sex with men equally applies to women who have sex with women. I want to say three things about this. Firstly, notice that the focus is on unashamed living out of sin. We all have desires affected by sin. But the issue here is, will you embrace those wrong desires? Will you embrace desires for greed? Will you embrace desires for homosexual sex? Secondly, notice that this is a long list, including all sorts of different sins. Homosexual practice is not singled out here. 
So if we want to take issue with the Bible calling homosexual sex sinful, we're also going to have to deal with the fact that stealing is also called sinful. You know, we can't pick and choose which bits we agree with. Thirdly, and most importantly, hear what Paul is teaching. Anyone can turn from a life of no shame sin and be accepted by God. Anyone. No one is excluded from the opportunity to turn and find forgiveness and acceptance in Jesus. You might be turning from heterosexual sin, sexual immorality and adultery. I used to be unfaithful to my wife, but now I love God's way of faithful marriage. You might be turning from homosexual sin. I used to live out my desires for homosexual sex, which is outside of God's design. But now I love God's way of faithful male-female marriage. So that's what I uphold. You might turn from greed. You might turn from stealing, from getting drunk. But the point is this. No one, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, no one is excluded from the life-changing opportunity to turn from tearing up the king's rule book to a new life of forgiveness and obedience. To which we now turn. See, Paul now shifts his focus away from no shame sin, drifting away from God's kingdom. And now he turns to the firm ground of God's kingdom. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you not know that is what some of you were? Given all that Paul has just said for two chapters about their no shame sin, that is an extraordinary thing to say. With one foot on the sheet of ice pulling away from God's kingdom, surely Paul meant to say, and that is what some of you are. Isn't that the whole point? That they're now living against King Jesus? Typo, Paul, you meant that's what they are. No, and here's something we see in Paul in 1 Corinthians which amazes me. Because in the how messed up can your church be contest, these guys take first prize. I mean, the Corinthian church is arguably the most messed up church that you can read about in the Bible. I mean, they're, they're committing incest for goodness sake. And you might think you're probably the most messed up Christian in this church. Just look at Paul's hope. Because he is bafflingly hopeful. Because he looks at the Corinthians and their messed up Christianity. And having just warned them of the danger of their love of sin, he says, But that's not you. That's not who you are. It's who you were. Now, if I was Paul, I'd be saying, See you later, guys. I mean, you're so far up the creek that I'm kicking you out of my church planting network. Not Paul. He hopes. If only they could see the transformation of their identity now they're Christians. Then hopefully they'll leave this no shame sinning behind. Don't you know when you become a Christian it changes who you are? When you turn in repentance from your no shame sin, God closes the door on that chapter of your life. Imagine a refugee comes to the UK. They fled a war-torn country. They lived in fear of their life, cowering under the bed as the bombs fell outside. But now they've made it out and they, they, they live with a family here in the UK. But when nighttime comes, they still cower under the bed, shaking as if they were still in danger, as if bombs were dropping outside. And someone comes in and says, 
You don't have to cower anymore. You don't have to live like this. You're somewhere better now. Christians, this life of no shame rebellion against God that has no future with him is what you used to do. It's who who we were. We're somewhere better now. Paul spells out for us then how this decisive change has come about. Something's happened. One great change, but he uses three words to describe what's happened in verse 11. He says, but you were washed. You used to stand before God filthy with your guilt. In his purity, there wasn't a chance you could be in his kingdom. Did he tell you to clean up? Go wash yourself? No, he washed you when Jesus died filthy in your place. You've been washed. But you were sanctified. God came and took you like a child wearing rags and playing on the rubbish heap. And he brought you into the palace of the king. He gave you a new set of clothes, a new heart. You want to live for God now. You've been made fit to serve in the palace of God. You've been sanctified. But you were justified. In the divine law court, you hung your head in shame. The verdict was read guilty but someone intervened god had a plan to get your verdict changed and uphold justice so he put forward his son and he was handcuffed and led away instead of you led to the cross to die in your place and to rise again and now you and i have been justified the handcuffs are off the verdict not guilty you've been justified And how is all this possible? In the name that is in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by that is through the power of the Spirit of God. Look at what God has done to who you are. Washed, sanctified, justified. That's who you are now. But here's what the Corinthians are doing with that new reality. They're smearing themselves in filth again. They're leaving the palace of God to play on the rubbish heap. They're putting the handcuffs back on and inviting the guilty verdict all over again. Don't go back, Paul pleads. It's not you. God has done everything by his grace to plant both your feet safely in his kingdom. But you want to keep one foot in the old you. That has no future with God. Your reality is better than that. You're in God's kingdom. Paul fights the Corinthian no-shame sin with gospel hope. It's like he can't bring himself to leave them with the warning of verse 9 to 10. He's got to finish with this note of hope. So that's where we're going to finish too. Maybe you look at that list of sin. And you know with a convicted heart that you've been embracing some of it. There is unchallenged no-shame sin in your life. Listen to me. If you're trusting in Jesus, that's what you were. God has closed the door in that chapter of your life. It's time for you to close the door too. How do you fight no shame sin? You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know the mind boggling reality of what God's done for you. So you need to talk to yourself. Do you do that? When you're faced with sin, you need to tell yourself these things. Phil, who are you? You're washed clean. So don't roll around in the filth again. You're fit to serve in the palace of God. Phil, don't go back to the rubbish heap. Enjoy serving in the presence of the king. Phil, the not guilty verdict has been read. 
Now the handcuffs are off. Use your freedom for good. Don't sin. So when you're tempted, delve deep into the new you in Christ. And you know what all this means? All this means it's not too late for you. Like it wasn't too late for the Corinthians. There's hope for every one of us no matter what we've done. Or more to the point, no matter what we're doing. So take your foot off the ice that pulls away from God. And plant both your feet on the safe ground. Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. And the new you. And I want to hold out one more invitation. You might say that actually you've got both feet planted in a life of no shame living against Jesus. You'd say, I'm not a Christian and Jesus isn't king of my life. Well, I've got the best thing to say to you. What you are now can become what you were. If Jesus is not the one you're hoping in to be washed and forgiven, then what you are is in the most dangerous place imaginable. When we've torn up the King's rule book like we all have, we are guilty before him. And we're heading towards a future with his anger and not his love. But what you are can be changed right now to become what you were. You can't clean yourself up. You can't try and brush off the dirt, sneak into the palace, bribe the judge. All any of us can do is come to God and say, I am sorry that I've lived a life of no shame sin. I turned from that way of life. Thank you that Jesus died in my place and rose again to give me new life. Please, I want to be washed. I want to be acceptable to you, declared not guilty. I want to be in your kingdom forever. And you know, when we do that, we can look at our life of no shame, rebellion and say, that's what I was, but not anymore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ, that you have washed, sanctified and justified us. Thank you for that incredible grace that though we don't deserve it, though we've lived in such rebellion, you forgive us, you make us your own, you bring us into your kingdom and you've given us an eternal future in your kingdom. So Lord, please for those of us who are trusting in Christ, please help us to leave behind the old way. Take our feet off that dangerous way that will not have any future in your kingdom. Lord, if there are ways in which you want us to change things that are unchallenged in our life, please, by your spirit, change us. We want to be more like Christ. And help each one of us to dive deeper into the beautiful new reality of all that we are in Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen.